Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Graveyard Grumbler Patreon. You already know who I am. No need to introduce myself because you're here, obviously, because you know. So let's go ahead and get right into it. I do have to give you a heads up. This one, even though it's behind the paywall, this one is a listener discretion is advised episode. I know, Grumbler, you're on the paywall, bud. We already know it's going to be graphic. We know it's going to be insane. But this one is a little much, man. I, I, I was contemplating on if I even should have put it on the Patreon, to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't know. You let me know if you would like it. I mean, this is not for the weak at heart. Please... Listener discretion is advised. I, I'm, I'm just warning you ahead of time. This is a rough episode to get through. And I was dumbfounded. My mouth was literally agape the entire time I was, I was reading about this stuff. So let's go ahead and get into it. Today's Patreon episode is going to be about Sylvia Likens. Who is Sylvia Likens, you may ask? I didn't know who that was until I popped up, until I Googled some of the worst, most atrocious crimes in human history. And this was number five, number five. So I have yet to figure out what's number one because I, I just saw this one and it caught my attention. So Sylvia Likens was born January 3rd, 1949. She was the third of five children born to carnival workers, Lester Cecil Likens and his wife, Elizabeth Betty Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins, Daniel and Diana, two years older than her, and Benny and Jenny, one year younger. Jenny Likens suffered from polio, causing one of her legs to be weaker than the other. She was afflicted with a notable limp and had to wear a steel brace on one leg. Now, right here, I would insert a carny joke. Brian, you would insert a carny joke as well. However, because of this, of this, <laughs> because of this episode, the carny joke is kind of like, damn, not, 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 not yet, man. It's too soon, bro. Too soon, bro. But number one, look. I, I know a lot of people have their decisions on what you should do with life or maybe what you should do with life. Should you just, you know, you know, hump like rabbits and decide to keep every single child that you pop out or should you use some restraint and maybe, you know, try your pullout game or whatever it may be. In this case, I, I believe, and I'm not trying to get into anyone's personal beliefs or anything, but in this case, abortion would have been number one, very well welcomed by, by Sylvia. So let's go ahead and get, let's, let's go ahead and continue it. Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was unstable. They often sold candy, beer, and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer, moving frequently and regularly experiencing severe financial difficulties. You're a carny. You're going to experience severe financial difficulties. You're not going to have a stable place to live in not to mention you have to pack up and go literally to, farnal, to follow the carnival. Yeah, it's all kinds of bad, my carny homies. Just abandon ship. Go work at the Quickie Mart. Go work at QT. Go work at Circle K. Do something where you have a stable income where you don't have to follow the carnival around and sell peanuts, beer, and fucking used hot dogs. Let's go. The Lycan's son regularly traveled with them in order to assist with their job, but Sylvia and Jenny were discouraged from doing the same, out of concern for their safety and education. As a result, both sisters frequently stayed with their relatives, often their grandmother. Now listen to that. I'm going to reread that again, okay? The Lycan's son regularly traveled with them in order to assist with their job, but Sylvia and Jenny were discouraged from doing the same out of concern for their safety and education. Their safety and education. Now, this is part where if I if I had the time, I would put in that 
Now, whenever I said safety and education, all you would hear was safety, 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 education, shin, 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 shin. Because I want you to, I want those two words to stick in your head as I continue with this ridiculous crime that, that occurred. In her teenage years, Sylvia Likens occasionally earned spending money by babysitting, running errands, or performing ironing chores for friends and neighbors, often giving her mother part of her earnings. She has been described as a friendly, confident, and lively girl with long, wavy, light brown hair extending below her shoulders and was known as Cookie to her friends. Look, I understand. Your family is struggling. You have some bills that need to be paid. You need money for, for various things, food. I get it. But when you have a little girl with polio hopping around, helping you out to try to make sure that ends meet, you know, maybe you should take that into consideration for what's going to, for what I'm going to unfold for you. If you don't know this story, I want to get you at the very edge of your seat right now. It's like I tell my brother, are you sitting down? No, are you sitting all the way down? I'm talking about you want to sit down all the way to sit down to where you're not sitting down anymore because you're sitting down so low. That's how low I want you with it. This is how, how engaged I want you with this episode today. So, I mean, that's a cute little name. She was known to, as Cookie to her friends. Okay, but she, I mean, she had polio and she's still babysitting, running errands and performing ironing chores for friends and her neighbors. Hey, hats off to you. you get, don't knock the hustle. Although exuberant, Likens always kept her mouth closed when smiling due to a missing front tooth, which she had lost while roughhousing with one of her brothers during a childhood game. You get it. You're already, your, your adult teeth are already growing in. You missed, you're, you're missing one of your, your pearly whites. The grill's a little, a little broken. Hey, I, I get it. I get it. She was also fond of music, particularly the Beatles, and was notably protective of her markedly more timid and insecure younger sister. On several occasions, the two sisters would visit a local skating rink where Sylvia would help Jenny skate by holding her hand while Jenny skated on her unaffected foot. See, just because she has polio doesn't mean that she has to be limited to anything. She can go roller skate only on one skate, but it doesn't matter. She's having fun. That's all that matters. By June 1965, Sylvia and Jenny Likens resided with their parents in Indianapolis. On July 3rd, their mother was arrested and subsequently jailed for shoplifting. Times are rough. You follow your damn carny, you're going to steal because you don't have the money. (laughs) I get it. It makes sense. Shortly thereafter, Lester Likens arranged for his daughters to board with Gertrude Benziski. Benziski. I I can't pronounce anything. Fuck that lady's name. We're just going to call her Gertrude. Because that's, that's her name. The mother of two girls with whom the sisters had recently become acquainted while studying at Arsenal Technical High School. Paula and Stephanie Benziski at the time. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, Lester Likens arranged for his daughters to board with Gertrude Benziski, the mother of two girls with whom the sisters had recently become acquainted while studying at Arsenal Technical High School. Paula and Stephanie Benziski. At the time of this boarding agreement, Gertrude assured Lester she would care for his daughters until his return as if they were her own children. Gertrude assured Lester she would care for his daughters until his return as if they were her own children. Children, children, children. Her own, own, own children, children, children. I'm telling you, if I, I need that reverb right now. I need that shit. So when I say that, it just sticks in your head like a, like a freaking tick on some balls. You know what I mean? Shortly after the July 4th holiday, the sisters moved into 3850 East New York Street in order for their father and later their mother to travel to the East Coast with the carnival with the understanding that Gertrude would receive weekly boarding fees of $20 to care for their daughters until they returned to collect Sylvia and Jenny in November of that year. So it was a deal. Look, kind of like boarding a pet. Can you take care of my kids? I'm going to pay you 20 bucks a week. 
that way, that way, uh, I, I know they're safe. You said you care for them as your own, own, own children, children, children. So I feel safe. Gertrude, you are an angel amongst mortals. You are the greatest person that's ever lived. Thank you so much for handling my two younger, my two younger kids. One who has polio and has to lip around everywhere. I appreciate that you're doing this for me. You are a godsend. During the initial weeks in which Sylvia and Jenny resided at the Benzwiski's household, the sisters were subjected to very little discipline or abuse. Likens regularly sang along to pop records with Stephanie, and she will- willingly participated in housework at the Benzwiski's residence. Both girls also regularly attended Sunday school with the Benzwiski's children with the pastor commending Sylvia's p- piety. So, nothing new. Look, you're in a new place. You're learning the ropes. This Gertrude lady seems like a legit lady. She's like, yo, go ahead and do what you do. You're my own, own, own children, children, children. And I'm going to love you the same way as I love my own, own, own children, children, children. So look, we have housework. We know that things have to get done. So let's go ahead and do it. And Likens is like, yo, I'll go ahead and take care of it. Don't even worry about it. Don't trip, boo. I have a stable place to live in. I'm being treated like I'm one of your own, own, own children, children, children. And I'm liking it here. I'm digging it. I'm happy. I'm thriving. Let's go. I'll go ahead and get what needs to be done. Completed. Taken care of. No worries. Don't trip. Potato chip. However, you know, on the Graveyard Grumbler podcast Patreon, that shit does not always go the way you think it's going to go. Right? Right. You know that. Brian, you know that. Everyone else, you know that. Marcos, every, you guys you guys all know that I just can't leave shit happily and with a happily, happy ever after. We can't. So things go downhill. Things go downhill. And when I'm talking about they go downhill, I'm talking about a free fall from the top of Mount Everest without, without hitting any sort of mountain on the way down goes downhill. That's how bad it goes downhill. Although Lester Likens had agreed to pay Gertrude Benzwiski $20 a week in exchange for the care of his daughters, after approximately two weeks, these payments failed to consistently arrive upon the prearranged dates, occasionally arriving one or two days late. These payments failed to consistently arrive upon the prearranged dates, occasionally, occasionally, arriving one or two days late. One or two days late. In response, Gertrude began venting her frustration at this fact upon the sisters by beating their bare buttocks with various instruments, such as a one-quarter-inch thick paddle, making statements such as saying, quote, well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. When I'm telling you shit gets downhill, this is where it starts becoming listener discretion is advised. It, it, this is From here on out, it gets pretty rough. But think about it. You're here being treated as your own, own, own children, children, children. And the person who's taking care of you straight beats the shit out of you literally with one with a one quarter inch thick paddle making statements as saying, quote, well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. It wasn't for nothing, Gertrude. Just calm your just calm your cheeks and the shit will be there one or two days late. It's 20. God, it's oh, my gosh. Boy, I tell you. On one occasion in late August, both girls were beaten approximately 15 times on the back with the aforementioned paddle. After Paula had accused the sisters of eating too much food at a church supper the household children had attended. How in the goddamn hell are you going to get beat for eating too much at a church 
Supper. Isn't that what the church is supposed to do? Here, let me feed all my children, those in need, those without. Here is the light, my, my, here is my flesh, the bread, my blood, the wine. You eat as much as you need for those who are in need, right? Right. Both girls, the Lycan sisters, were beaten approximately 15 times with the same paddle after Paula, which is, I believe is one of the daughters of Gertrude, had accused the sisters of eating too much food at a church supper. At a church supper. God damn. By mid-August, Gertrude had begun to focus her abuse almost exclusively upon Sylvia with her primary motivation likely being jealousy of the girl's youth, appearance, respectability, and potential. How the fuck are you going to get jealous over someone younger than you? Your prime has came, it's gone, it's over. Get over it. How are you going to how are you going to put this much hatred and this much disgust and this much just just evil towards someone who is younger than you? Her abuse exclusively focused upon Sylvia with her primary motivation likely being jealousy of the girl's youth, appearance, respectability and potential. Look, man. Why just calm your shit down? It does just just get it over with. Boy, I tell you, it just, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm not, I don't have that, that abusive mentality. I, I just, that's just not in me. So I don't think I'll ever understand that aspect. According to subsequent trial testimony, this abuse was initially inflicted upon Sylvia after she and Jenny had returned to the Benziski's residence from Arsenal Technical High School as well on weekends. The initial abuse including subjecting lichens to beatings and starvation, forcing her to eat leftovers or spoiled food out of garbage cans. On one occasion, lichens was accused of stealing candy she had actually purchased. She had actually purchased the candy. Had actually purchased the candy and she still got abused for it. Come on now. And then... the. Poor the poor Sylvia gal, she was subjected to abuse, including beatings and starvation and being forced to eat leftovers or spoiled food out of garbage cans. Even if the food was just just brand new thrown in there, it's just the thought of where that shit goes to. It's it's degrading and it's humiliating and it, it, that's just no room for it. There's just no room for it. On another occasion in late August, Likens was subjected to humil humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend in Long Beach who she had met in the spring of 1965 when her family lived in California. In response, Gertrude asked Sylvia if she had ever done anything with the boy, to which Likens, unsure of her meaning, replied saying, quote, I guess so, and explained that she had gone skating with boys there and had once gone to a park on the beach with them. The poor innocent girl, probably in her early teens, I don't remember exactly how old she is, gets asked a manipulative question, a victim-blaming question for something that was completely innocent and she had no idea what the, what the meaning behind it was. And of course, she's going to say, yeah, I guess so. You go out and have fun with, with people. Yeah, I went, to, I went out to a dinner. I went out to have some, uh, some quickie snow cones. I had a, a slushy. I had a Slurpee. Yeah, I've done a lot of things with boys and girls. What, what does it, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't get what you're picking, what, what you're putting down. But no, this was Gertrude's manipulation and mindfuck and, and all this other shit in order to continue the ridiculous abuse that I haven't even I haven't even begun to scratch the surface 
of what's going to happen to poor Sylvia. Again, listener discretion is advised. Even behind the paywall, listener discretion is advised. Continuing the conversation with Jenny and Stephanie, Sylvia mentioned that she had once laid under the covers with her boyfriend. Completely innocent. No sex. You, what, you can't lay down under the, gov- under the covers with the, with, the, with the opposite sex? No. You can't. Upon hearing this, Gertrude asked, saying, quote, Why did you do that, Sylvia? Likens replied, I don't know, and shrugged. Several days later, Gertrude returned to the subject with Likens telling her, You're certainly getting big in the stomach, Sylvia. It looks like you're going to have a baby. Likens thought Gertrude was kidding with her and said, Yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm just going to have to go on a diet. Gertrude then informed her and the other girls in the house that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. She then kicked Likens in the genitals. Gertrude then kicked Likens in the genitals. This adult woman kicked this young teenager in the genitals for something out of whatever malicious anger, malicious intent, whatever the case is. It could get the fuck out of here. Paula, herself three months pregnant and also jealous of Lycan's physical appearance, then participated in attacking Lycan's, knocking her off the chair and onto the kitchen floor, shouting, saying, quote, you ain't fit to sit in a chair, end quote. On another occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon Leper force-fed Lycan's a hot dog overloaded with condiments, including mustard, ketchup, and spices. Lycan's vomited as a result and was later forced to consume what she had regurgitated. On another occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertrude, Paula, and a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon Leper force-fed Likens a hot dog with a bunch of shit all over it. Likens threw up, and they made her eat what she threw up. What is wrong with people? What, what, why, why would anybody participate in this kind of behavior? That's my, I mean, we understand that Gertrude is, is potentially fucked up in the head. No doubt about it. But what I don't understand, what I'm having a difficult time understanding. Can somebody help me out? Any of my listeners, any of you wonderful Patreon people? What would give these, these kids, especially the neighborhood, the neighborhood boy who wasn't had, who didn't have any relation to, to Gertrude and her family. What gave him the right or the courage to participate in the abuse of this young gal? If somebody can help me out, let me know. Patreon comments are always open. Let me know. In what was Lycan's only act of retaliation, she is alleged to have spread a rumor at Arsenal Technical High School that Stephanie and Paula Bunswiskis were prostitutes because she was upset with the household singling her out for similar accusations. Okay. You're a teenager. You're, you're, you're pissed off. You're going to start spreading rumors. Makes sense, right? Do I agree with it? No, you shouldn't spread rumors. My thing is, if you can't tell the person in their face and you can't tell them, if you, if you can't throw hands and give them the pippity paps and you're not ready to take the pippity paps, it kind of sucks, but just don't say anything about it. It's like I've told, I've told my friends and I've told my, my kids, if you're not ready for the possible repercussions then it's probably best if you just don't say anything. It's, it's a shitty rule, but if you don't want to get hit in the mouth, then don't say anything. While at school, Stephanie was jokingly pro- propositioned by a boy who told her that Likens had started this rumor upon, about her. Upon returning home that day, Stephanie questioned Likens about the rumor, and she admitted to starting it. Stephanie punched her in response, but Likens apologized to her in tears, and Stephanie then also began to cry. All right, they had a moment. I got hit in the mouth. 
I'm sorry. Boom, boom. All right, it's over, right? It's over, done. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to spread rumors about you saying that you were a prostitute. You just hit me in the mouth. You gave me that pippity. I'm glad you didn't give me the pat. You gave me that pippity and that shit hurt a little bit. I'm, I took it on the chin and I'm sorry. Tears coming down my face. It's over, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. Hubbard heard of the rumor. He brutally attacked Likens, slapping her, banging her head against the wall and flipping her backwards onto the floor. When Gertrude found out, she used a paddle to beat Likens. This was a little rumor that was spread about her own daughter. And this Hubbard fella, I don't know exactly who this Hubbard is. I, I, I can't really find it. I was too caught up on finding everything else. But I don't know if he if he's a, I, I think he is the boyfriend or the husband of one of the kids or a family acquaintance. I don't know exactly who he is. But he decided that he's going to take it upon himself to get justice on, the, on this unjust matter. So he brutally attacks Likens, beating the shit out of her, literally beating the shit out of her. On another occasion, Paula beat Likens about the face with such force that she broke her own wrist, having primarily focused her blows upon Likens' teeth and eyes. Later, Paula used the cast on her wrist to further beat Likens. Paula beat Likens on the face with such force that she broke her own wrist. Oh, my gosh. I try to tell you, listener discretion is advised. This is why it's behind the paywall. I was considering putting it on the original podcast, the uh, out of the paywall. Then I started doing more research and skimming around. And I was like, no, nah, I can't. Do, absolutely not. I can't do that. I cannot put this out of the paywall. It's too good and bad at the same time. Gertrude repeatedly falsely accused Likens of promiscuity, promiscuity and of engaging in prostitution, ranting about the, f- the filthiness of prostitution and women in general. Gertrude would later occasionally force Jenny to strike her own sister, beating Jenny if she did not comply. Could you imagine the torment, the mental torment, your own sibling forced to beat the shit out of you? Forced. Because you know if they didn't, then they'd get the shit beat out of them as well. So being forced to beat on your own sibling. Gertrude repeatedly falsely accused Likens of being, of being uh, promiscuous and, beca- and engaging in prostitution. I think if she engaged in prostitution, she would have left that place a long time ago and left with one of the Johns. That's what I think. Coy Hubbard and several of his classmates frequently visited the Banswiski's residence to both physically and verbally torment Likens, often collaborating with Banswiski's children and Gertrude herself. They, they, just made, they just made a spectacle of it. Hey, come one, come all. Let's come over here and abuse this young gal. Come one, come all. Well, I, never mind. Stop, pause. I was going to make a carny joke. Not right. Too soon, bro. How do you have several of his classmates come and visit the residents to assist and collaborate like they're dropping a record? Yo, yo, yo. Punch one, punch two. Here we go. This a collapse. Shut the fuck up. Little weak ass, meek little punks. That's what they are. How are you, you going to? And then Gertrude herself to tag team on this shit, on this whole ordeal. With Gertrude's active encouragement, these neighborhood children routinely beat Lycans, sometimes using her as a practice dummy in violent judo sessions, lacerating her body, burning her skin with lit cigarettes in excess of 100 times, and severely injuring her genitals. 
burning her skin with lit cigarettes in excess of 100 times, severely injuring her genitals, allowing her to be used as a judo dummy. If you're not familiar with judo, if you don't have the proper padding, and if the person doesn't know what they're doing somewhat competently, you're going to get hurt really bad. Really, really bad. It hurts to be thrown without padding. It hurts very badly. It, it, it's ridiculously painful, judo is, if you don't have the right stuff, baby. <laughs> to entertain Gertrude and her teenage accomplices, Likens was forced at one point to strip naked in the family living room and masturbate with a glass Pepsi Cola bottle in their presence, with Gertrude stating to all present that the act... That this act of humiliation was for Sylvia to prove to Jenny what kind of girl you actually are. To entertain Gertrude and her teenage accomplices, she was forced to strip naked and masturbate with a glass Pepsi Cola bottle. With Gertrude stating to everyone who was in the room with her, this act of humiliation was for Sylvia to say, quote, prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are. End quote. I have no words. And you know when the graveyard grumbler doesn't have any words? Shit's bad. Shit's bad, bad. Gertrude eventually forbade Likens from attending school after she confessed to having stolen a gym suit from the school due to Gertrude having refused to purchase the clothing for her. For this act of theft, Gertrude whipped Likens with a three-inch wide police belt. Remember I told you? I'm going to treat them like my own, own, own children, children, children to continue with their education, chasing, chasing, and their safety, safety, safety. Do you remember me saying that at the beginning of the episode? I told you to remember it. I even, I even had that pseudo, the pseudo uh, reverb in there. Forbade her from attending school after she stole the gym suit because gym clothes is required in high school. Because the, the Gertrude lady did not want to buy it for her, she ended up getting the shit beat out of her for it. Gertrude then switched her conversation to the evils of premarital sex before repeatedly kicking Likens in the genitals as Stephanie rallied to Likens' defense, shouting, saying, quote, she didn't do anything, end quote. Gertrude then burned Likens' fingertips with matches before further whipping her. How, how, do, you, how do you switch this shit up? I mean, there's, there's something obviously mentally fucked up with Gertrude. I don't know if it's, it sounds to me that there's some sociopathic behavior in there. Brian, back me up. I believe so. I might be wrong like I usually am, but it's okay. That's why I'm entertaining because I'm wrong a lot of the time. But it sounds like this, this Gertrude lady, this, this fucking waste of skin has some, obviously there's something messed up in her head, but it sounds like sociopathic. There's no, there's, there, there's no remorse, no empathy. There's nothing, no consideration for life and limb. Nothing. And then for, you, for her to be able to display it to everyone else and manipulate them to join in on the, quote, reindeer games, so to speak? Come on now. Come on now. A few days later, Gertrude repeatedly whipped Jenny with a police belt after she reportedly stole a single tennis shoe from the... Su oh, my gosh. Come on now. <sighs> Boy, I tell you. A few days later, Gertrude repeatedly whipped Jenny with a police belt after she reportedly stole a single tennis shoe from school to wear on her strong foot. Repeatedly whipped for stealing a good shoe to wear on her good foot. 
Am I, am I the only one who, who, who's listening to this right now? Am I the only one who realizes how obscenely fucked up this is? This is why it's behind the paywall. This is why we are at where we're at. It's going to be a good episode, a long one. I'm telling you. Obviously, they need these kids need help. Obviously, they need something to, to assist them in getting out of this ridiculous house of horrors. They, they, are, they are just being fucked up in every type of way, shape, or form that you can possibly think of. However, we all know, in most cases, which really sucks, really, really sucks, is that a lot of times the people who are being abused, the victims are too scared to ask for help. And in this case, they are too scared to ask for help. You get threatened and then you have the physical violence to back up those threats. Yeah, it's going to be real difficult for people to go get help when they know what's going to happen if they don't get help. It, 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 it's like the manipulation at its finest. It, it, oh my gosh. The Lycan siblings were, feel, was, were fearful of notifying either family, either family members or adults at their school of the increasing incidents of abuse and neglect they were enduring, as both were afraid that doing so would only worsen their situations. The Lycan siblings were fear, fearful. They were just afraid of notifying their family who sent them there or any adults at their school who would possibly send cops their way. Because they were legitimately afraid that if they did so, it would just make the situation worse. It's one of those bad decisions, bad decisions. Do I tell, don't get help and get it even worse? Or do I just stay content with what's happening to me now? I hope we all know the answer to that. Run away. Burn the fucking house down with those monsters in there. Just burn it down. Jenny, in particular, struggled against the urge to notify family members as she had been threatened by Gertrude that she would herself be abused and tortured to the same degree as her sister if she did so. So for some reason, Sylvia's sisters, Jenny and the other gal, they weren't, they weren't abused or, or tormented in nearly the same fashion as Sylvia was. Of course, there were some here and there, I mean, obviously. But it was nowhere near to the degree that Sylvia was being abused. For some reason, obviously out of envy, Gertrude targeted Sylvia because of saying, quote, I was jealous of her looks and her potential. But the other two didn't have the same looks or potential as Sylvia. No. How, how is someone with polio going to have more potential than someone without, without polio who has been affected by it, obviously? Now, let me straighten this out. I'm not saying that because you have some sort of disability that you can't thrive in and have amazing potential. No. But we're talking about the 60s where advancements and shit like that just didn't normally occur. But say, well, Gertrude is, is going to threaten Jenny, which is Sylvia's sister, saying that if you go tell anybody, I'm going uh, to abuse you and torture you the same way I'm doing to your sister. Someone needed to stab Gertrude in the back of the head with a, with a, a goddamn blunted ice pick. Jenny was also subjected to bullying by girls in her neighborhood, in addition to occasionally being ridiculed or beaten whenever she alluded to Sylvia's situation. So you go tell somebody, hey, my sister's getting the shit beat out of him, then she would get bullied and get the shit beat out of her for bringing that, stuff to atten- bringing that to attention, to people's attention. Come on now. In July and August, both Lester and Elizabeth Likens would occasionally return to Indianapolis to visit their daughters whenever their travel schedule afforded them the opportunity. Great, the parents are there. 
they're coming to they're they're uh, they're saving their kids, right? Think about it. You have you have Sylvia and and the other two sisters singing in the in, while they're in their room. Swing low, sweet chariot, waiting just to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Well, you're wrong. Okay, you're wrong. They didn't come there to rescue anybody. They weren't even there to help. They barely were able to get money to visit their kids that they boarded in a house that they have no idea what was going on. Fucking house of horrors to the T. I mean, you have a better chance of surviving in like Hell House from, from uh, uh, what is that movie called? I can't even remember the name of the movie. I'm so worked up right now. I'd rather live in the conjuring house than live with, the, with these people. I'd rather live I'd rather live in the chainsaw massacre family house than I would do with these people. Seems like they have a little more etiquette and a little more concern for those. The last occasion Lester and Elizabeth visited their daughters was on October 5th. On this occasion neither girl exhibited any visible signs of distress about their mistreatment to their parents. Of course, because they were threatened. You better not act in any way, shape, or form that you are abused or I'm going to abuse you 20,000 times worse than you already are right now. Well, Grumbler, how did they even realize it? Because these dumbass parents, instead of just dropping uninvitedly or unexpectedly, these dumbasses decided to call Gertrude and say, yo, I'm going to swing by your way. I'm going to go back down. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to visit my kids. I'm going to bring you your $20 holla holla bones. You know what I mean? And of course, Gertrude, knowing the exact date that they're going to be here, just relent, not relented, but let up on the abuse, waited for their wounds to, waited for Sylvia's in particular, wounds to heal, threatened the sisters, Sylvia's two sisters saying, of course, if you you tell your parents anything or hint that something's going around, I'm going to fuck you guys up. So of course, they're not going to, they're not going to exhibit any signs of distress or mistreatment. Of course not. You're scared, scared out of your mind. This was likely because both were in the presence of Gertrude and her children. Almost immediately after almost immediately after Lester and Elizabeth had left the Benziski's house on their final visit, Gertrude turned to face Likens and stated, saying, quote, What are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they are gone. Almost immediately after Lester and Elizabeth had left the Benziski's household on their Final, final, final. Visit, 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 visit. Gertrude turned to face Sylvia and stated, saying, quote, What are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they are gone. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of suicide, but come on now. What else are you going to do? Again, if you are having any sort of distress or any issues, please seek help. It's better talk to someone than no one at all. Your local helpline in whatever city, state you live in. There's always one. There's always one available. There's a national hotline too. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the in the in the Patreon notes. Everyone needs help. But how are you? I mean, why would you sit there and and endure that torment? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe because I'm speaking on the outside in. I, I don't I don't know what it's like to live in in such horrific house of horror conditions like the, like this brave young lady did 
On one occasion in September, the girls encountered their older sister, Diana Shoemaker, at a local park. Both Jenny and Sylvia informed Diana about the abuse they were enduring at the hands of their caregiver, adding that Sylvia was being specifically targeted for physical abuse and almost, and almost always for things she had neither said nor done. Great. My older sister's here. She's going to save the day. Right? Right. You think about it. Look about it. You have somebody from the outside. You have one of your own siblings, your flesh and blood. You have pretty much the same exact DNA. And they're going to save your life. They are going to run to the, to the nearest phone booth, rip off their clothes, and have the Superman uniform underneath with the cape flowing, hands on their hip, looking to the side. Dun, 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 dun. I'm here to save the day. Right? Wrong. You're wrong again. What did, what did they say to Waterboy? Looks like mama's wrong again. Neither sister mentioned the actual address where they, re, where they resided, and in, resided. And initially, Diana believed her sisters must have been exaggerating their claims regarding the scope of their mistreatment. Neither sister mentioned the actual address where they resided. Initially, Diana believed her sisters must have exaggerated their claims regarding the scope of their mistreatment. How the fuck do you exaggerate abuse? How? If someone is telling you that they are being abused, wouldn't you out of curiosity and maybe like a little hint of decency want to go check it out just in case it was accurate? I understand. Look, friends, it's a little different, but this is your own sister. This is your own flesh and blood who's telling you that they're getting the shit beat out of them, specifically their older sister. They're, they're, the older sister is, is specifically being targeted, and you're not going to do anything about it. You're not going to believe me. They're going to exaggerate. You're going to say I'm exaggerating the scope. Come on, man. Someone should have judo chopped right in the fucking throat. Several, re- several weeks prior to this, Sylvia and Jenny had encountered Diana in the same park while in the company of 11-year-old Marie Bunziski. And Sylvia had been given a sandwich to eat when she meant to her- mentioned to her sister that she was hungry. Now listen to what I just said, okay? Several weeks prior to the meeting of the, one- of the statement that I just mentioned above, where the, sister, the, the older sister, Shoemakers, believed that her younger sisters were exaggerating what was going on. Sylvia, who is the one who's being targeted, and her younger sister, Jenny, encountered Diana in the same park, right? Okay. While in the company of 11-year-old Marie Bunziski, who is Gertrude's youngest, one of her daughters, Diana gave her sister, Diana gave her sister, Sylvia, a sandwich because she mentioned to Diana that she was hungry. It's not uncommon. Siblings do it all the time. Look, man, I'm hungry. Feed me. Doesn't happen. I mean, there's, there's nothing negative about that. Right? Right. Likens remained silence about the matter, although Marie revealed this fact to her family in late September. In response, Gertrude accused Likens of engaging in gluttony before she and Paula choked and bludgeoned her. Choked? and bludgeoned her for eating a sandwich that her sister gave her because she's being neglected and abused and tortured from not being fed properly. Gertrude accused her of engaging in gluttony, and and the result of that, she was choked and 
bludgeoned. Wow. Just, just wow. I, I don't, I, I, again, this, this, this is one of the cases that, that I, I almost put out of the paywall. Listener discretion is advised. The pair then subjected Likens to a scalding bath in order to cleanse her of sin. With Gertrude grabbing Likens' hair and repeatedly banging her head against the bath to revive her whenever she fainted. She fainted for being in scalding hot water. Her skin was being burnt by scalding hot water. She passed out from the pain. Gertrude just banged her head against the bathtub to revive her, to keep her conscious while being physically tortured. Look, this is the case. This right here is a case where this person should have been beat to shit in her sleep and never allowed to walk this earth ever again. I'm pro, I, I, I am pro fucking up an abuser. <laughs> How about that? I'm pro fucking up an abuser. Shortly after this incident, the father of a neighborhood boy named Michael John Monroe phoned Arsenal Technical High School to anonymously, anonymously report that a girl with open sores across her entire body was living at the Bunziski's household. Good for him. Look, man, you should have called the fucking cops instead of the high school. But good for this Michael John Monroe. He reported an abuse. He saw something. He is the, the, the silent voice that more victims need. So we're, check it out. Now, now we're going to start. Well, the report has been made, right? Right. John Monroe said, look, man, there's this girl getting fucked up. She doesn't look well. She looks something like the guy from the RoboCop movie when all of that toxic sludge fell on him. And he was walking around saying, help me. He looks something like that. So she looks something like that. So how about we get some help, right? We're going to save the day. It's on and pop it. So this is where the story gets, gets better. You know what I mean? Every dark day needs a light. Everything dark needs to have light shown and, and, and just the light up. You light up my life. Wrong. Get that out of your head right now. You understand me? Don't ever think that's going to end up the way here on the Graveyard Grumbler Patreon podcast. There's no wobbly bubbly feel good stories with this goddamn case. There's none. Let me continue. As Likens had not attended school for several days, a school nurse visited East New York Street to investigate these claims. Gertrude claimed to the nurse that Likens had run away from her home the previous week and that she was unaware of her actual whereabouts, adding that Likens was saying, quote, out of control, end quote, and that her open sores were a result of Likens' refusal to maintain decent personal hygiene. The school official went to investigate. Gertrude hid Sylvia Likens from this individual, saying that she ran away and that the, she was out of control, even though she was being grossly controlled, and that her open sores were, were a result of Likens' poor personal hygiene, hygiene, not the fact that she was getting the shit beat out of her daily. Come on now. Gertrude further claimed that Likens was a bad influence on both her own children and her sister. The school made no further investigations concerning Likens' welfare. 
The school made no further investigations concerning Lycan's welfare. Zero. Zip. Nada. No te voy a ayudar ahora, chico. ¿Me entiendes, Mendez? Nothing's going to happen. It's done. Let's get out of here. We're out. It's time to go. And never check on her ever again. We have to do better, you guys. We, we have to do better. I am so pumped up right now. I'm sweating because I'm so pumped up right now. I'm, fire it up. Fire it up. That's how pumped up I am right now reading this goddamn story. I hope everyone's pumped up just like me. Let's, let's bring it down. Calm down. Woo, bring it down a little. The immediate neighbors of the Benziski family were a middle-aged couple named Raymond and Phyllis Vermilion. Vermeen. I think it's Vermeen. Both initially viewed Gertrude as an ideal caregiver for the Lycan sister, and both had visited the Benziski's residence on two occasions while the girls had been under Gertrude's care. It's manipulation. It's manipulation at its best. If you want to learn how to manipulate people, you should be this person right here, but don't really manipulate people because that's fucked up. On both occasions, however, the Vermilions witnessed Paula physically abusing Lycans, who on both occasions had a black eye and openly boasting about her mistreatment of the child to them. You had someone bragging, one of her own people bragging that she was beating the shit out of this lady, out of this girl, out of Sylvia Lycans. But they still said that she was an that the, the Gertrude was an ideal caregiver for these people. Come on now. Upon their second visit to the Benziski's household, both observed Lycans to appear extremely meek and somewhat zombified in nature. Nevertheless, the Vermeans never reported Lycans' evident mistreatment to the authorities. Again, we need that silent voice. You know, I, I just don't, I don't get it. You have someone, a, 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 hum, a kid, a child, who's extremely meek and zombified in nature. Their words, not mine, their words but they didn't report anything to the authorities. I would have done an anonymous, anonymous tip. This is an anonymous tip. Check it out. On or about October 1st, Diana Shoemaker discovered that her sisters were at the Bunziski's residence. She visited the property in an attempt to initiate regular contact. Gertrude, however, refused to allow Diana entry to the property, stating that she had received permission from the parents not to allow either of the girls to see her. False, fake, lying, motherfuckers. She then ordered Diana to leave the property. Approximately two weeks later, Diana encountered Jenny by chance close to the home and inquired as to Sylvia's welfare. She informed her sister Diana saying, quote, I can't tell you or I'll get into trouble, end quote. Jenny told Diana, I cannot tell you about Sylvia's welfare or I will get into trouble. This is the same gal, Diana, is the same one who said that they were exaggerating the treatment of Sylvia. Exaggerating it. Same kids. And they, now they can't tell her because she's, they're going to get in trouble. Come on now. Well, Diana's there. Now, now that she understands what's going on, she knows the severity of what's going on, what's happening to her sister Sylvia. She, we're going to take care of it. Again, this is a roller coaster of emotions. I can't wait. The good thing is, though, that Diana is aware. Diana's, Diana is actively trying to get things taken care of. She wants to get her kids out of there. Or excuse me, not her kids, but she wants, to, she wants to get her family out of there because, I mean, you don't want your family being mistreated, right? Right. I mean, the little girl told, told uh, Jenny told uh, Sylvia, I can't tell you what's going on because I'm going to get in trouble. So obviously, that's, those are red flags. Those are alarms blaring. 
what's going to happen? Let's let's go ahead and get my sisters out of there, right? Wrong. Sit down if you think that this was the happy ending of the story. Put your glass of wine away. Wipe the sweat off your forehead and put that just put it back on there and say, "Damn, I was wrong again." Because it doesn't. It gets worse. Graveyard grumblers, stop. How does it get worse? It gets worse. Trust me, I could not believe what the fuck was going on as I kept going with this case. This is going to be, obviously, this case is going to be over an hour. I mean, this this pod, this this Patreon episode is going to be a long-ass episode. It gets worse. Due to the increase in the frequency and brutality of the torture and mistreatment Likens was subjected to, she gradually became incontinent. She was denied any access to the bathroom, being forced to wet herself. You get the shit beat out of you so bad, things start damaging, you start getting PTSD, you start being traumatized to where you become incontinent. You cannot hold your bowels, you cannot hold your urine, it, you just, you're just incontinent. That's real. I've seen it myself with my own eyes. I've seen people walk come into my facility, Brian, my facility, not yours, my facility. I've seen people walk into my facility and they, and they wet themselves as I was trying to get them admitted for their safety and for their better mental health treatment. They, 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 they voided right in front of me. As a, form, as a form of punishment for incontinence, on October 6th, Gertrude threw Likens into the, into the basement and tied her up. Here, Likens was often kept naked, rarely fed, and frequently deprived of water. Occasionally, she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground. This is beyond torture. I don't even know what, what, what word is worse than torture. If there's a word worse than torture, let me know. Because I don't. This is inhumane. This, this is inhumane treatment of somebody. Because of, of her incontinence, as a direct result of her abuse by Gertrude and the rest of the, the, the coconut clan, she was punished, thrown into the basement naked, Rarely fed and obviously not given water. Only the two basic necessities in human life for human survival and existence. And on occasion, not all the time, on occasion, she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground. I hope everybody's fired up with this, with this episode like that. I am literally sweating right now. So if you hear a fan click on, it's because I couldn't take it anymore. I'm trying really hard so I can have good quality audio. Because you know your boy, the grumbler here, wants good quality, quality audio. But I'm literally spitting all over my microphone and my monitors because I'm so worked up right now. In the weeks prior to locking Likens in the family basement, Gertrude had increasingly abused and tormented Likens. She would occasionally falsely claim to the children in her household that either she herself or one of them had been receiving direct insults from Likens in the hopes this would provoke them into belittling or attacking her. So now, now, not only is Gertrude attacking Lycan, or Sylvia by herself. No, that's not enough. Let's go ahead and pump everybody up. Let's pump everybody up, gaslighting people into making false claims and, and provoking them for beating the shit out of Sylvia even more. Come on, this is, this is, this is like, it's inhumane. It, it's, this is inhumane shit. On one occasion, Gertrude held a, a knife aloft and challenged Likens to saying, quote, fight me back, to which Likens replied she did not know how to fight. In response, Gertrude inflicted a light scour wound to Likens' leg. Fight me, and I have a knife. You have nothing. Fight me. 
Likens is like, yo, I don't even know how to fight. And because of that, Gertrude cut her goddamn leg because she didn't want to fight her because she doesn't know how. She didn't know how to throw the pippity paps. Come on now. Come on. Physical and mental torment such as this would occasionally pause when the Brunswickis watched their favorite television shows. Neighborhood children were also occasionally charged five cents a piece to see the display of Lycan's body and to humiliate, beat, scald, burn, and ultimately mutilate her. Did you just hear what I read? Did you, did you literally hear what I just said? I, I hope when I said this, everyone's eyes just snapped to their computer, to their speaker, to their phone, whatever you're listening to me on right now. I hope it snapped right to it, like it, 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 with the face, with what the fuck. Neighborhood, neighborhood children were occasionally charged five cents a piece to see the display of Lycan's body and to humiliate, beat, scald, burn, and ultimately mutilate her. Fucking Gertrude. Brzezinski's, whatever the fuck her last name is, charged these little shitheads money to physically abuse a human being. There is something seriously wrong with her. Seriously wrong with her. And when I read this, I, 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 was, I was dumbfounded. I was dumbfounded when I read that part. I, 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 I was beside myself. I had no idea what to what to th- even think. I, I didn't usually when I go around go through with my episodes, as I'm skimming through it, I kind of give myself an idea of what I'm gonna say. Like kind of like, you know, like a pre preliminary script to where I'm I, I'm gonna put myself in a certain way of thinking. But when I read that, I had nothing clever. I had nothing. I had nothing. Because that is legitimately unbelievable to me. Legitimately unbelievable to me. Let's continue. Throughout Lycan's captivity in the basement, Gertrude frequently, with the assistance of her children and neighborhood children, restrained and gagged Lycan's before placing her in a belt bathtub filled with scalding water and proceeding, and proceeding to rub salt into her wounds. Well, how can you get past the screaming? I, I don't, I wouldn't get, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. They would restrain and gag lichens before placing her in a bathtub filled with scalding water, proceeding to rub salt into her wounds. Ah, damn. On one occasion, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, John Jr., rubbed urine and feces from Gertrude's one-year-old son's diaper into Lycan's mouth before giving her a cup half-filled with water and stating the water was all she would receive for the remainder of the day. I, I don't... I, I, have, I have nothing. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. I, I just, just think about that. Let's continue. This was a real case, by the way. This, isn't, this is, wasn't made up. This is real shit. On October 22nd, John Benzwiski Jr. tormented Likens by offering to allow her to eat a bowl of soup with her fingers and then quickly taking away the bowl when Likens, by this, by this stage, suffering from extreme malnourishment, attempted to eat the food. That, that's fucked up. That, that's just, that's, come on now. Come on. Gertrude eventually allowed Likens to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. That night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly give her a glass of water before falling asleep. Poor, damn, Jesus Christ. 
The following morning, Gertrude discovered that Likens had urinated on herself. As a punishment, Likens was forced to insert an empty glass Coca-Cola bottle into her vagina in the presence of the Benzwiski children before Gertrude ordered her into the basement. Wow. Wow. Shortly thereafter, Gertrude shouted for Likens to return to the kitchen, then ordered her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, You have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. She began, she began carving the words, I am a prostitute and proud of it onto Lycan's abdomen with a heated needle. When Gertrude was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighborhood children present, 14-year-old Richard Dean Hobbs, to finish etching the words into Lycan's flesh as she took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. In what Hobbs would later insist were short, light etchings, he continued to brand the text into Lycan's abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned. Why not stop? Why, why not fucking stop, you goddamn worthless piece of shit? Both Hobbs and 10-year-old Shirley Benzwiski then led Likens into the basement where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt in an attempt to burn the letter S beneath Likens' left breath, breath, breast. <laughs> Although they applied one section of the loop backwards and this deep's burn scar would resemble the number three. They just continue. I don't know how these kids can, can do this shit to somebody. Are all of them fucked up like the mom or was it all manipulation and taught and, and bred as being okay to have that type of behavior? If you guys know, let me know in the, in the Patreon comments. This is insane. Gertrude later taunted Likens by claiming she would never be able to marry due to the words carved on her stomach stating, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? Weeping, Sylvia replied saying, quote, I guess there's nothing I can do. End quote. Later that day, Likens was forced to display the carving to neighborhood children with Gertrude claiming she had received the inscription at a sex party. Fucking hell, man. Fucking hell. That night, Sylvia confided to her sister saying, quote, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. End quote. That night, Sylvia looks at her younger sister and tells her, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. Just think about it. Think about that. The following day, Gertrude Benzwiski woke Likens, then forced her to write a letter as she dictated the contents, which were intended to mislead her parents into believing their daughter had run away from the Benzwiski's residence. The content of this letter was intended to frame a group of anonymous local boys for extensively abusing and mutilating Likens after she initially agreed to engage in sexual relations with them before they inflicted the extreme abuse and torture upon her body. Fucking gaslighting. Everything to the extreme. Think of the most extreme case of, 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 of abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, and this is it. This is, this is, this is what you get right here. After Likens had written this letter, Gertrude finished formulating her plan to have John Jr. and Jenny blindfolded Sylvia, or excuse me, blindfold Sylvia, then take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and leave her there to die like a fucking animal. Like a fucking animal, you guys. Blindfold her because obviously they don't want her coming back home and just leaving her there to die. After she had finished writing the letter, Likens was then again tied to the stair railing and offered crackers to eat, although she refused them, saying, quote, give it to the dog, I don't want it, end quote. In response, Gertrude forced the crackers into Likens' mouth before she and John Benzwiskis beat her, particularly around the stomach. 
On October 25th, Likens attempted to escape from the basement after overhearing a conversation between Gertrude and John Berdwiski Jr. pertaining to the family's plan to abandon her to die. She attempted to flee the front door. However, due to her extensive injuries and general weakness, Gertrude caught her before she could escape the property. Pobrecita, man. Likens was then given crackers to eat, but she was unable to consume the food due to her extreme state of dehydration. That's like, if you're severely dehydrated, you give someone fucking crackers, that's like putting a mouthful of sand. Not even beach, not even beach sand where there's a little bit of moisture, just straight fucking desert sand right into your mouth and expecting you to eat. Gertrude forced the crackers into her mouth before repeatedly striking her face with a curtain rod until sections of the instrument were bent into right angles. Now, this is back in the 60s. We know shit in the 60s was made a way lot different than it is now. A whole hell of a lot different than what it is now. So can you imagine what type of rod that was and how solid it might have been? Coy Hubbard then took the curtain rod from Gertrude and struck Likens one further time, rendering her unconscious. Gertrude then dragged Likens into the basement. That evening, Likens desperately attempted to alert neighbors by screaming for help and hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. Good for her. One immediate neighbor of the Benzwiskis would later inform police she had heard the desperate commotion and that she had identified the source as emanating from the basement of 3850 East New York Street, but that as the noise had suddenly ceased at approximately 3 a.m., she decided not to inform police about the disturbance. Gosh. The silent voice victims need, we, all, we are all it. And if you, can, if you see it, report it, you can do it anonymously. I'm telling you. Sylvia has died. Her death. Which we all know by listening to this episode that this is probably the best thing that could happen to this young lady. I don't encourage it. I don't welcome it. But in this case, her death was delayed way too far, way too long. And she should have been put, at, put she, she should have been put out of her misery. She should have been put out of her misery way before this. By the morning of October 26, Likens was unable to either speak intelligibly or correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertrude moved Likens into the kitchen and having propped her back against the wall, attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. She threw Likens to the floor in frustration when Likens was unable to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips. She was then returned to the basement. She hasn't eaten and you're going to give her a fucking donut and some milk of, bo- of both things, not even like a little sip of water. And some fruit. No. A fucking donut. Shortly thereafter, Likens became delirious, repeatedly moaning and mumbling. When Paula asked her to recite the English alphabet, Likens was unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or to raise herself off the ground. In response, Paula... Fucking hell. In response, Paula verbally threatened her to either stand up or she would inflict a long jump upon her. Gertrude then ordered Likens, who had defecated, to clean herself up. I'm going to long jump on you because you can't function because you're fucking dying. You're dying. And I'm going to inflict more pain as punishment for you receiving punishment and being abused and tortured to the most inhumane level 
possible. I'm going to fucking long jump on you. Listen, you guys, I never intended for this episode to be as graphic and insane as, the, as this one is. But I had to put it behind the paywall. This shit needs to be made aware. That afternoon, several Lycan's other tormentors gathered in the basement. Lycan's jerkily moved her arms in an apparent attempt to point out the faces of the tormentors she could recognize, making statements such as, you're Ricky and you're Gertie, before Gertrude Tersley shouted, shut up, you know who I am. Minutes later, Lycan's unsuccessfully attempted to bite into a rotten pear she had been given to eat, stating she could feel the looseness of her teeth. We already know that most pears are soft, and when they start getting rotten... They get even softer. I remember picking up a pear I didn't even know was rotten and my finger went right through it. All the way to the fucking middle. She was unable to eat a rotten pear. And she stated that she can feel her teeth, her loose teeth. She can, fa- she can feel the looseness of her teeth. Upon hearing this, Jenny replied, Don't you remember, Sylvia? Your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven. Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for neighbors in hopes of earning spending money. In an attempt to wash lichens, a laughing John Benzwiski Jr. sprayed her with a garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy Lepper at Gertrude's request. Lichens again desperately attempted to exit the basement but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. In response to this effort, Gertrude stamped upon Lichens' Lycan's head before standing and staring at her for several moments. Sylvia tried to escape. She collapsed because she's dying. And because of her wanting to escape, Gertrude stomped on her head. Stomped on her head. And then just stared at her for several minutes. Shortly after 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs returned to the Benzwiski residence and immediately proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and fell heavily to the floor of the basement to be confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cutting lichens. Emaciated, oh my gosh. Within the sight of Stephanie crying and cutting lichens, emaciated and lacerated body after she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. Now you're crying? Now, now you're fucking crying? You weren't crying when you were helping or abusing her, were you? Were you? Stephanie and Richard then decided to give lichens a warm, soapy bath and dress her in new clothes. They then laid her upon a mattress in one of the bedrooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her saying that her she wishes her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie then tend to her younger sister Shirley exclaiming, "Oh, she'll be all right." Stephanie who was crying at her lacerated emaciated body turns to somebody and says, "Oh, she'll be all right. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. She's dead dying." Let's continue. When Stephanie realized that Lycans was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth resuscitation as Gertrude repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Lycans was faking her death. Lycans was 16 years old when she finally succumbed to her injuries. Gertrude was yelling at the rest of the children in her house saying that Sylvia was faking her, her death. She was fake dying. Now you have to think, Graveyard, I've been listening to your show a long time. There's always good news and there's always bad news. You're right. And this is good news. She's been arrested. Justice for all, right? Yes, I'm telling you right now, we can celebrate. We're jumping up and down. Gertrude Benziski was arrested, finally. The fucking ringleader of the House of Horrors has been captured, 
and she is in custody. Let's celebrate. Go ahead. I'll allow you to celebrate. Are you celebrating? You are? Sit your ass down and don't celebrate anymore because that shit doesn't get any better. What? Graveyard, what? Yeah, you heard me. It doesn't get better just because Gertrude was arrested. And this is going to piss you off why it doesn't, and I'm going to tell you right now. So go ahead and sit down. I'll let you take a little sip of, uh, of coffee because I love coffee. Take a little sippy sip. And let me fill you in. Let me pull your coattails on the most ridiculous injustice by the justice fucking system that I've read. Gertrude Bozwiski initially beat Lycan's lifeless corpse with a book shouting faker, faker in order to rouse her. Sylvia was dead. Gertrude shit-ass Winsky beat her corpse with a goddamn book shouting at her dead, lifeless body. Faker, faker. In order to rouse the dead Sylvia up. However, she soon panicked and instructed Richard Hobbs to call the police from a nearby payphone. When, when police arrived at her address the, at approximately 6.30 p.m., Gertrude led the officers to Lycan's emaciated, extensively bludgeoned and mutilated body laying upon a soil mattress in the bedroom before handing them the letter she had forced Lycan's to write previously by her dictation. So the cops came. The cops came. They said, yes, we're here. Gertrude leads them to Sylvia's emaciated, bludgeoned body. Don't forget mutilated which her dead body, her, her corpse, was lying upon a soiled mattress. And then gave her, gave, she gave the police the letter that she forced Sylvia to write. Forced her to write it. She also claimed she had been doctoring the child for an hour or more prior to her death, having applied rubbing alcohol to Lycan's wounds in a futile attempt to first aid, at a, in a futile attempt at first aid before she had died. She added that Likens had earlier run away from her home with several teenage boys before returning to her house earlier that afternoon, bare-breasted and clutching the note. Clutching a Bible, Paula Benzwiski, having stated to all present in the household that Likens' death was meant, was, was meant to happen, then glanced in Jenny's direction and calmly stated, if you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own sister. If you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you, treat you, treat you like our own, own, own sister, sister, sister. When have we heard that before? Paula Benzwiski, which is the oldest daughter, I'm assuming, having stated to all present in the household that, that Sylvia's death was meant to be, was meant to happen, then glanced at Sylvia's younger sister, Jenny, and calmly stated while holding a fucking Bible, mind you, while holding a Bible stating, if you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own, own, own sister, sister, sister. The fucking audacity. The audacity, the, the callousness, and every other negative incantation you can think of to place right there with this fucking family. As previously instructed by Gertrude, Jenny Likens recited the rehearsed version of events leading to Likens' death to police before whispering to the police officer saying, quote, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Good for her. Hell yes. High five, my girl. You are doing what we should have done a long time ago. She whispered to the police officers, you get me out of here and I will tell you everything. Boom. Fuck you, Berswinskis, and fuck everybody else who was involved. The formal statement provided by Jenny Likens prompted officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John Jr. 
On suspicion of Sylvia's murder within hours of the discovery of her body. Fuck yes. Justice for all, right? Hell yeah, she was arrested. The sister is the eyewitness. The sister witnessed all this shit happen, right? Right. We can celebrate, right? No. Sit your ass down and stop celebrating right now. You're going to hear why in a minute. The same day, Corey Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were also arrested and charged with the same offenses. The three eldest Benzwiski children, plus Coy Hubbard, were placed in the custody of a nearby juvenile detention center. The younger Benzwiski children and Richard Hobbs were detained at the Indianapolis Children's Guardian's home. All were held without bail pending trial. Fuck yes. Good. Initially, Gertrude denied any involvement in Sylvia's death. Gertrude denied any involvement in Sylvia's death. Okay. Although by October 27th, she had confessed to having known the kids, particularly her daughter, Paula and Coy Hubbard, had physically and emotionally abused Sylvia, stating Paula did most of the damage and Coy Hubbard did a lot of the beating. This is their own mother. Their own mother threw them under the the bus saying, yeah, I knew who they were. But I had nothing to do with it. It was Paula and, the, and my boy who abused her and killed her and left her in the state that you found her. Are you fucking serious? We know now that there's actually a severe mental issue going on with this lady. Gertrude further admitted to having forced the girl to sleep in the basement on approximately three occasions when she had wet the bed. She became evasive when one officer stated the likely reason Sylvia had become incontinent were her mental distress and injury to her kidneys. Lacking any remorse, Paula signed a statement admitting to having repeatedly beat Sylvia about the, uh, about the backside with her mother's police belt, once breaking her wrist on Lycan's jaw and inflicting other acts of brutality, including pushing her down the stairs into the basement two or three times and inflicting a black eye. This is Paula. This is Gertrude's daughter who's admitting to this shit. John Jr. admitted to having spanked Sylvia on one occasion, adding that most of the time I used my fist to abuse her. Fucking hell, man. No fucking shame. He admitted to having burned Sylvia with matches on several occasions, adding that his mother had repeatedly burned the child with cigarettes. Five other neighborhood children who had participated in Sylvia's abuse Michael Monroe, Randy Leppard, Darling McGuire, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko had also been arrested on October 29th. Everybody, bring everybody down. All were charged with causing injury to person and each was subsequently released into the custody of their parents under subpoena to appear as witness at the upcoming trial. Okay, makes sense. Now we get into the trial. Just Graveyard Grumbler, please tell me. Please tell me that now we are finally going to get justice for Sylvia, right? No, we're not. Sit your ass back down. Put the streamers away. Put the confetti away. This shit is not happening. On December 30th, 1965, the Marion County Grand Jury returned first-degree murder indictments against Gertrude Benzwiski and two of her three oldest children, Paula and John Benzwiski Jr. But Graveyard, this is good, right? Right. Wrong. It's not. And I'm going to tell you why here in a second, or actually in a few minutes. Also indicted were Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard, all were charged with having repeatedly struck, beaten, kicked, and otherwise inflicting a culmination of fatal injuries to Sylvia Likings with premeditated premeditated malice. 100% right. Three weeks prior to the filling of the indictment against the five defendants, Stephanie Bunswiski had been released from custody upon a writ of a habeas corpus bond with her attorney successfully contending the state had insufficient evidence to support any murder or culmination of fatal injuries charged against her. Stephanie, which is one of the youngest gals, 
had been released from custody upon a writ of habeas corpus bond, saying that the ju- the, the the fucking defendant, the, the lawyer, the defense lawyer said, there was not enough evidence to support any murder or culmination of fatal injuries charged against her, even though she was involved in the fucking killing of Sylvia. This is why I hate defense lawyers. This is why I hate defense lawyers right there. You obviously know that this shit is wrong in several thousand ways. You have eyewitnesses saying everybody was involved, but yet you're still going to tell that they were innocent. Stephanie waived her immunity from any potential impending prosecution while agreeing to testify against her family and other individuals charged with abusing and murdering Likens. Boom, that's good, right? Right, that's good. We'll, we'll celebrate. I'll give you a high five. We can slap hands for that one. At a formal pretrial hearing held on March 16, 1966, several psychiatrists testified before Judge Saul Isaac Rabb as their conclusions regarding psychiatric evaluations they had conducted upon three individuals indicted upon Likens' mother. Murder, excuse me. These experts testified that all three were mentally competent to stand trial. All three were mentally competent, competent, competent to stand, 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 trial, trial, trial. Boom. The trial of Gertrude, her children, Paula, and John Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard began on April 18th, 1966. All were tried together before Judge Rabb at Indianapolis City County Building. Initial jury selection began on this date and continued for several days. The prosecution consisted of Leroy K. New and Marjorie Westner, who announced their intention to seek the death penalty for all five defendants on April 16th. I agree. Death penalty. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get your ass in that fucking chair and burn. They also successfully argued before Judge Rabb that all the defendants should be tried together as they were ultimately charged with acting in concert in their collective crimes against Likens and that as such, if were tried separately, neither judge nor jury could hear testimony relating to total picture of the accumulation of offenses committed. Each prospective juror was questioned by counsels for both prosecution and defense in relation to their opinions regarding capital punishment being a just penalty for first-degree murder and whether a a mother was actually responsible for the deportment of her children. 100% she is. 100%. Jurors also, oh, excuse me, jurors who expressed any opposition to the death penalty were excused from duty by Leroy New. Any who either worked with children expressed prejudice against an insanity defense or repulsion regarding the actual horrific nature of Lycan's death were excused by defense counsels. Of course they were. Nobody wants to have this shit. Stupid. Stupid. Gertrude Benswiski was defended by William Erbecker. Her daughter, Paula, was defended by George Rice. Richard Hobbs was defended by James G. Netter. John Benswiski Jr. and Coy Herbert were defended by Forrest Bauman. Fuck all three of those. Fuck fuck all all of them. The attorneys for Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, Paula, and John claimed they had been pressured into participating in Likings' torment, abuse, and torture by Gertrude. Gertrude herself pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Gertrude pleaded not guilty to reason of insanity. Boy, I tell you. One of the first witnesses to testify of the prosecution was Deputy Coroner Charles Ellis, who had testified on April 29th as to to the intense pain Likens had suffered, stating that her fingernails were broken backwards. Numerous deep cups and punctures covered much of her body and her lips were essentially in shreds due to her having repeatedly bitten and chewed upon them. 
Ellis further testified that Likens had been in an acute state of shock for between two and three, two and three days prior to her death and that Likens may have been in too advanced a state of shock to offer much resistance to any form of the subjected treatment in her final hours. Although he emphasized that aside from the extensive swelling inside and around her genitalia, Likens' body bore no evidence of direct sexual molestation. False. Remember, there was eyewitnesses saying that she was shoving shit in, there was she forcibly, forcibly shoving objects inside of her vagina. On May 2nd and on May 2nd and 3rd, Jenny Likens testified against all five defendants, stating each had repeatedly and extensively, both physically and emotionally, abused her sister, adding that Likens had done nothing to provoke the assaults and that there had been no truth in either the rumors she has she had been falsely accused of spreading or the slurs each had made against Likens' character. During her testimony, Jenny stated the abuse her sister and to a much lesser degree she herself had endured began approximately two weeks after they had begun to live in the Brinswiskis household and that, she, and that as the abuse her sister was forced to endure escalated. Likens had occasionally been unable to produce tears to her acute state of dehydration. Jesus, fuck. You can't even cry because she was so dehydrated. Jenny burst into tears as she recalled how just days before Likens died, she had said to Jenny, saying, quote, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. Deputy Prosecutor Marjorie Westner delivered the state's closing argument before the perjury, before the jury on behalf of the prosecution. As each defendant except Richard Hobbs remained impassive, Westner recounted the continuous mistreatment Likens had endured before her death, emphasizing that at no point had Likens either provoked any of the defendants or received any medical care beyond occasionally having margarine rubbed into scalded sections of her face and body. Reference specific forms and means of abuse and neglect at the defendant's hand and their collective failure to either help Likens or deter, or deter each other from mistreating her, Westner described Likens' abuse as stomach-wrenching and compared her treatment at the hands of all five defendants as being the equivalent in severity to that committed against prisoners in Nazi concentration camps. Do you know how bad someone has to be abused in order to be referred to as an abused Jewish individual during the Holocaust? That is a severe, and based off of what we've read and what we've heard today, that's a pretty fair assumption, if you ask me. In reference to the premeditated nature of Likens' death, Westner pointed the jury's attention to the notes Gertrude had forced Likens to write on October 24, stating, Gertrude knew, Gertrude knew on October 24 she was going to hold these notes until she and the rest of the defendants had completed the murder of Sylvia. Holding aloft a portrait of Likens taken before July 1965, Westner added, I wish she was here today with eyes in this picture full of hope and anticipation. Ouch, that's got to fucking hurt. Justice, right? Yes, justice. Finally, we're going to have justice. Dun, 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 dun. I'll let you guys stand up. It's justice. Let's go ahead and get into it. The trial of the five defendants lasted 17 days before the jury retired to consider its verdict. On May 19, 1966, after deliberating for eight hours, the panel of eight men and four women, four women found Gertrude Benzwiski guilty of first-degree murder, recommending a sentence of life imprisonment. Boom. Yahtzee. Bitch, get your ass back into jail. And I don't call women bitches. I really don't. <laughs> but at this moment, get your ass into prison. Paula Benzwiski was found guilty of second-degree murder, and Hobbs, Hubbard, and John Benzwiski Jr. were found guilty of manslaughter. Upon hearing Judge Rapp pronounce the verdicts, Gertrude and her children burst into tears and attempted to console each other as Hobbs and Hubbard remained impassive. Get your fake ass. Fake, fake, fake. Is that what you call dead Sylvia? 
fake, fake, fake. You're faking. Shut your dumb ass up. On May 25th, Gertrude and Paula Benzwiski were formally sentenced to life in prison. The same day, Richard Hobbs, Coy Cupboard, and John Benzwiski Jr. each received sentences of 2 to 21 years to be served in the Indiana Reformatory. On September 1970, the Indiana Supreme Court... Okay, before I read this, if you're still celebrating, sit your ass down and stop celebrating. Stop it. Stop celebrating. Sit down. Sweep everything. Throw all the celebration away. We are not celebrating anymore because this is probably one of the most disgusting... Most ridiculous things I've ever read, not even counting all the shit that happened to Sylvia, but just based off of this right now, this is fucking ridiculous. In September 1970, the Indiana Supreme Court reversed the convictions of Gertrude and Paula on the basis that Jub Saul Isaac Rabb had denied repeatedly submitted motions by their defense counsel at their original trial for both a change of venue and separate trials. The Indiana Supreme Court reversed the convictions. They reversed, versed, versed the convictions, victions, victions of Gertrude and Paula. This ruling further stated that the circumstances regarding the prejudicial atmosphere created during their initial trial, due to the extensive news media public pu- news media publicity surrounding the case, impeded any chance of either appealant receiving a fair trial. The pair were retried in 1971. On this occasion, Paula opted to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. She was sentenced to serve a term of between two and 21 years imprisonment for her part in Sylvia's abuse and death. Despite twice unsuccessfully having attempted to escape from prison in 1971, she was was released in December 1972. Paula attempted to escape from prison in 1971, not once, but twice. Was released on December, excuse me, in December of 1972. Gertrude, however, however, was again convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Boom, right? Game over. At, le- at least the fucking ringleader, at least the fucking ringleader was sentenced to life in prison, right? No. Wrong again. Over the course of the following 14 years, Gertrude became known as a model prisoner at the Indiana Women's Prison. She worked in the prison sewing shop and was known as somewhat of a den mother to younger female inmates, becoming known to some within the prison by the nickname Mom. By the time of Gertrude's ultimate parole in 1985, she had changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen, a combination of her middle name and maiden name, and described herself as a devout Christian. Graveyard Grumbler's final rap. You know, even though it's a Patreon episode, it's Graveyard Grumbler's final rap. News of Gertrude Benzwiski's impending parole hearing created an uproar throughout Indiana. Jenny and other immediate family members of Likens vehemently protested against any prospect of her release. The members of two anti-crime, group, anti-crime groups also traveled to Indiana to oppose Gertrude's potential parole and to publicly support the Likens family. Members of both groups, over the course of two months, collected over 40,000 signatures from the citizens of Indiana, including signatures obtained from outraged citizens who were too young to contemporarily 
recollate the, ca- the case. All signatures gathered demanded that Gertrude remain incarcerated for the remainder of her life. Within her parole hearing, Gertrude stated her wish that Lycan's death could be undone, although she minimized her responsibility for any of her actions, stating, I'm not sure what role I had. Oh, my gosh. Gertrude minimized her responsibility for any of her actions, stating, I'm not sure what role I had because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. Taking Gertrude's good conduct in prison into account, the parole board marginally voted in favor of granting her parole. She was released from, she was released from prison on December 4th, 1985. She was convicted in the 60s, convicted again in the 70s, and then released in 1985. Following her 1985 release from prison, Gertrude Buzwiski relocated to Iowa. She never accepted full responsibility for Lycan's prolonged torment and death, insisting she was unable to precisely recall any of her actions in months of Lycan's prolonged and increasing abuse and torment within her home. Gertrude primarily blamed her actions upon the medication she had been prescribed to treat her asthma. Gertrude Benzwiski lived in relative obscurity in Laurel, Iowa until her death due to lung cancer on June 16th 1990 at the age of 61. I'm going to end it here. Thank you everybody for listening. This is the end. This is the end. This is the end. Beautiful friend. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Grumbler.